Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. everybody and welcome to episode 263 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host Brad Roland. It is Sunday afternoon and I am joined live from the state of Arizona. Scott Coleman is here. Hello sir. Hey Brad, how's it going? It is a uh, a beautiful 75 degree day here. I know it's uh, pretty chilly so you got to get that bragging anytime you can middle of November but uh, good to be on. Lots of good stuff to talk about. Yeah, it's pretty nice here, to, here today as well which is uh, nice in November but Obviously, we'll touch on a lot of different things. This is sort of going to be our wrap-up of that mini-series we do every single year, sort of reviewing the position groups as they are. Two weeks ago, you and I talked about uh, the bullpen in glowing fashion. Last week, Eric and I talked about the rotation. Today will be the lineup, and I would say appropriately with the lineup on deck to discuss, the headline news of the week was Freddie Freeman winning the National League MVP award. We expected that to happen, but... He got 28 of the 30 first place votes. It's the first MVP for the Braves since 1999, which was Chipper Jones. And uh, I don't know about you, Scott. We thought he was going to win. I'm pretty sure we did. But uh, a bigger blowout than I imagined, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very deserving for Freddie, a guy who Braves fans know so well. But around the league, it's it's almost we've talked about how he's almost so underrated that everybody knows how underrated he is now. Right. He used to be this guy who just used to go and no one would ever talk about him and it was nice to see, especially over this last year, for him to rightfully get all the attention that he that he deserves. And um, yeah, I was I was a little surprised it was quite so heavy again. Twenty eight out of thirty, one of which was uh, Bob Nightingale, which got a laugh out of me. Uh, shout out to Bob. Uh, but yeah, I mean there was really no <laughs> contest in in my opinion for this. I think part of it too was the West Coast guys. I think everyone thought it was Freddie. Uh, or Mookie Betts, and of course there were a handful of West Coast candidates, Machado and Tatis notably, uh, who might have taken a little bit of the attention off of Mookie, and obviously it helped Freddie win pretty convincingly. Yeah, by the end, you know, the last like two weeks of the regular season, I know we all separately had said on this podcast that we thought Freddie was going to win. We were pretty confident in that, and uh, it felt like by the very, very end, it was almost... No doubter. I wouldn't say it was 100%, but it was. It did feel like it was very likely. But uh, yeah, 20 out of 30 is more than I thought he was going to get, but certainly deserved, as you said. We'll touch on him again later on in the podcast, but just for the record, Freddie had career best numbers in all of the following stats. Batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, WRC+, WOBA, ISO, walk rate, strikeout rate. All, all best of his career. This is a guy who's been an all-star perennially now for a long time. To have his best season in all those stats, I know it was a shortened season, but he played every single game 
as well, yeah. which is crazy considering that he had COVID and pretty seriously before the season ended. This is not a situation where he was not sick. He had, uh, as we as we discussed a number of times, he had real symptoms and uh, was really battling. And the fact that he there was real real doubt that Freddie Freeman was going to start the season on the team in terms of just yeah. like being healthy and being able to play. And he went out and played every single day for you know two plus months. And won the MVP. So uh, a pretty crazy, pretty awesome uh, trajectory. And I think you saw some emotion out of Freddie that, that you don't normally see as well when he won it. So that was all very cool for the guy who's been around the longest on this team, the centerpiece of the team for quite some time now. And uh, sort of a nice full circle moment there. Well, I think the craziest part is he, he sets all these career highs. And I know, again, it was a shortened season. But, man, he set career highs. And really, it was about two weeks before Freddie Freeman really caught on yeah he was not great early he, was, he really wasn't <laughs> he was not and that's i mean it's just amazing that those numbers regardless of how you get there are eye-opening and astounding the fact that it was maybe 10 to 14 days before freddie felt like he had he said he lost a little bit of weight from when he, when he was sick i'm sure he lost some of his strength um you know for him to put up those numbers when and we talk about two weeks i mean two weeks was what 15% of the season. I mean, it, it's not like a normal time where two weeks and eh, whatever, it's, it's no big deal. Um, he was so, so good. And by all accounts, just a terrific human being. And, and he's of course grown and his young family in Atlanta, he's so well liked around the league by his peers and, and the writers too, which I think plays a, a factor in it as well. So very happy for Freddie. You're right. He is kind of robotic you know, on a day-to-day basis. So for him to really show some emotion in that video of him seeing that he had won was really cool. And, I'm sure a very special day for him and his family. Yeah, for sure. So a memorable year there for Freddie and the team. We'll talk about him more a little bit later on when we get to the lineup review portion. Just for the record, Marcelo Zuna came in sixth in MVP voting, which is pretty appropriate. That's about the range that he probably should have been in. Uh, Ronald Acuna came in 12th. And uh, I thought it was pretty noteworthy and kind of uh, amusing, but also maybe not crazy, that Dansby Swanson and Max Fried both got 10th place votes MVP. I always laugh that there are 10 spots you have to fill on the uh, – on the MVP ballot in baseball, it just seems it seems a little bit aggressive to me. But both guys got got recognized. I think Dansby's a little that was probably a little bit high for Dansby. But Max Freed, uh, if, if you if you looked in the um, at the most valuable portion of, of MVP, the uh, actual literal, literal definition, um, I think that's kind of appropriate. You know, Max Freed shouldn't have won Cy Young. He didn't win Cy Young. But in terms of just actual most valuable player to their team, you could argue he's top ten in, in the National League, considering uh, he was the only sure. guy they had for a long time. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, literally, he was like the entire pitching staff for, what, four or five weeks there until Ian Anderson came up. So, yeah, I, I think if, you know, Zuna was very, very deserving, sixth place feels about right for him. Of course, Acuna missed some time with the wrist injury, and that slowed him down at times throughout the year. I think if he would have been able to be healthy and play 60 games, he probably would have cracked the top 10. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, Dan- the Dansby one was a little... A little odd, but uh, I know defensively some of the metrics absolutely loved him. And he was good um, this then, year, full stop. Yeah, no, he yeah. was good. No, I mean, it's and especially at shortstop, I mean, with the glove being so good, and he, of course, hit well again. It's really just kind of who he is now. Whenever Dansby is healthy, he seems to be a an above average hitter at shortstop, which is not exactly an easy thing to find. Um, he uh, he had a very nice year, and, and then for those reasons above, no issues with Freed getting a vote either. Yeah, okay, well, that's that's that. Uh, there's a little bit more news that we'll touch on here now. Uh, there was a transaction the Braves were involved in this week. It, it's official as well. They announced it. Josh Tomlin mm-hmm. is back for 2021. Uh, not a huge surprise, honestly, to anyone, I don't think. But um, a one-year deal for $1 million. 
Um, but it's basically $1.25 million because there's a buyout attached. There's a club option for the following season at $1.25 million. So this is a guaranteed $1.25 million, and the Braves also have him under control if they want him for the following year for that similar uh, low, low price of $1.25 million. So essentially, you know, this isn't a surprise to me. I will say that at the top. Tomlin's not a sexy guy. He's not going to make a huge impact on the field. But they love him in the locker room. And the fact that he's someone that can they can sort of use in that long man role if the rotation is the way that it was this year, a little bit banged up and just eat innings. And he's not great by any means, but for this price, I have no issue with it whatsoever. Absolutely not. I, I think for a million bucks, if he's the last guy in your bullpen, we've seen how versatile he can be. He can open games for you. He can eat innings if a pitcher gets hurt, if there's just a bad outing, whatever it is. Um, he is absolutely, it would be very hard for Josh Tomlin to not be worth a million dollars next year, just on the sheer save the bullpen arms. It's just basis. if he's terrible. Honestly, it's just the only way that he's yeah. not is if he's just absolutely done and terrible. And that that is possible. But if that happens, it's a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the impact of get, that is just not huge at all. Sure. You either get rid of him or again, you keep him as your 26th, 28th man, whatever they're going to do next year with rosters. And if he's only going to come in when the score is eight to nothing, okay, whatever, right? I mean, if it scores eight nothing, the game is probably over anyway. Um, he also is. I know we. I never know just how much to lend to the off the field and clubhouse stuff with with players, but um, multiple people have come out and credited Tomlin for his work with them. Kyle Wright, AJ Minter, uh, Ian Anderson all said at various times during the season that they worked with and learned a lot from. Uh, from Tomlin and famously he told Kyle Wright to stand on the other side of the <laughs> pitching rubber and he went from being like this floundering prospect to you know, uh, starting a couple of playoff games overnight um, but yeah for a million bucks like you said even if he is horrible you can cut your losses uh, best case he eats innings for you he's versus how it never hurts to have a veteran arm like that on the team yes yeah, so, so the last two seasons uh, Tomlin has thrown in 68 games he has thrown uh, 119 innings for the Braves with a 4.08 ERA. Um, his peripherals are maybe a little bit worse than that. Um, he never walks anyone, which is a positive. He doesn't strike anybody out either, but he doesn't walk anyone. You know, he just is what he is. And I think, I know he's always 36, but he profiles as a guy who might be able to keep pitching at the same level at 36, 37 years old because he doesn't have, he doesn't rely on really power at all. Um you know, no downside. I'm sure I saw some frustration from Braves fans. Like, you know, why, why would they do this? If they'd given him real money, I would be concerned, but they, they didn't. So this is basically, it's not the absolute minimum, but it's close to the minimum contract for a veteran player. Um, and that's what he's about worth. Like, you know, yeah. and again, if he's bad, they could just cut him or make him an assistant coach or whatever you want to do. <laughs> and, you know, he's the only guy on the, on the roster from last year. Obviously these guys are available, but he really was the only guy in his mold on this team last year yes they have these young guys who are really converted starters but he's truly a long man right now and that's kind of all he's ever going to be now in the in the uh major league baseball sense i can't see him starting games primarily for a team anymore and he's not and he's not a high leverage guy so he really is just built for that role to be yeah. the bridge old guy and throw three things at a time for you yeah no again no no issues at all it's a million dollars even if finances are going to be a little tight I can't imagine that would be a dramatic swing one way or the other. I guess we'll see how the next few months go, but happy to have Tomlin back. Seems like a, a good guy to have on the team. And again, as you said, he's not going to be pitching uh, one run games in September. 
he will be throwing the garbage innings and eating starts whenever you need him to and never a bad thing. Yeah, that's enough on that, I think, for now. Um, the Braves lost a front office person this week to the Angels as the GM. Uh, Perry, I have no idea how to say his last name. Is it Manassian? I have no idea. I'm just guessing. I would, that would be my guess, but um, I admittedly do not know. I will say this. Uh, you know, I'm not an expert on especially non-GM level uh, front office folks. He has a pretty good rep from what I poked around on this week. Um, and obviously to get a GM job, you got to be pretty well respected and pretty much sort of, sort of a, uh, a smart person. Um, so that's a loss of some sort. I am not going to try to tell you what that means for the Braves. I don't worry too much about it. But anytime you lose someone that is, again, good enough to get a GM job somewhere else, it's not a positive, but I don't think it's a huge negative either. No, no, it's not. I mean, it's it's a team effort in the front office. And he's a guy who's been around with Anthopolis for a long time. And um, that that's part of being a good team. Whenever you have good teams, you're Coaches and front office types tend to go elsewhere. You see it in all the sports. It happens in baseball. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see if all of a sudden the Braves suddenly have a drastic, uh, a drastic fall off in their offseason efforts. Maybe it was because they feel the loss of it. But uh, good for Perry. He should do well. A- Anaheim is a uh, tremendous. It's like a sleeping giant, honestly, between the uh, all the money they have to spend and they have the Mike Trout guy and, and a good farm system. So that is a He's not going to Detroit or Pittsburgh here. That's a very good opportunity. Yeah, you, you got to take it if you're going to be a GM. And uh, congrats to him. Godspeed. And uh, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Um, two other quick awards things that happened in the last week. Brian Snicker finished fourth in Manager of the Year. He got one first-place vote. None of those are really surprising. He wasn't ever going to win because he wasn't a finalist, but I think he was always going to be close to that. And fourth sounds about right for what he was able to do this year. And then Ian Anderson got a single third-place vote for Rookie of the Year. And by the way, he will be eligible again next year for Rookie of the Year. So that's an interesting uh, thing to just put out there just to remind everyone that Anderson will probably be one of the front runners, I'd imagine, for Rookie of the Year next year at the beginning of the year. He'll be a, a trendy pick because he is still eligible. No, I mean, we saw how impressive he was. Um in the playoffs in September. And again, you hope that he's able to have this off season, hopefully have a normal off season and, and a normal spring training, which is obviously so important to the young guys. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't realize that, but I would imagine if you're a betting man and I know you are Brad, uh, I would imagine Ian <laughs> has some pretty good chances uh, next year. Yeah, I actually, I, uh, I was reminded of that. I think I knew already, but I was, I was reading something, I think it was on ESPN Someone was doing those like way too early awards pres- um, predictions, and, I, and they mentioned Ian Anderson. I'm thinking, is he eligible? And they they even explained it in the piece. Like, by the way, because he threw X innings in this weird season, he is still eligible. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll take it. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure he'll win it, but he certainly could, given the way he looked when he came up in 2020. Um, okay, two more quick things here. One of which might take a second. Uh, Mark Bowman, good friend of the program, wrote the following. I'm going to read this sentence to you. And I I get your reaction. So he wrote that, quote, this year's financial losses will likely reduce the 2021 payroll to some degree, end quote. And for some context, Bowman also said that the Braves have about $70 million coming off the books, which is which is correct. And about $10 million in projected raises for arbitration stuff. So um, in theory. If you wanted to replicate payroll, you would be adding $60 million to the current payroll. But it does seem by what he was writing there that uh, I am not going to expect that. Because if, he, if he's saying that, yeah. he's been told that by somebody, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to apply to every team in baseball for the most part, right? A, a year without fans 
we saw how critical money was last year. And, and then again, we just don't know what the next calendar year is going to look like. Right. I mean, who knows what the financial outlook is going to be. Maybe as we get a little bit deeper in the off season, if teams start to feel like they, they have a better chance at having, even if it's a, you know, a 30, 40% capacity at home games next year, at least to begin um, every home game is going to matter in terms of dollars, because as we know, baseball is such a, a sport driven by ticket revenue because you have 81 opportunities to bring in ticket revenue and concessions and merchandise and all that. So um, it is not exclusive to the Braves by any means, but I, it's pretty obvious at this point, if you take anything you've read over the last couple of weeks, that this offseason is going to be not one where you're going to see a lot of checkbooks being opened up and, and payers, players are still going to get paid. I don't think there's any deny about that. But if this is the offseason, you expect the Braves to really in normal times, this is an offseason where the Braves would push some chips, in, push some chips in, if I can speak, <laughs> um, because they're they're very clearly right there. They're in the middle of a window. They're knocking on the door. They were so close to the World Series. In normal times, I think this might be a year where you can really kind of twist ownership's arm and say, hey, give me a few extra dollars to do X, Y and Z. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to be feasible given the, the state of everything, but uh, the next couple months will certainly be interesting. Yeah, and to I'll play devil's advocate a little bit, and this is not my normal role. I'm normally uh, we're at least somewat critical of the uh, ownership drawing a line in the sand stuff. They can they can still spend considerably and not get to last year's payroll because last year's payroll was higher than we all thought it was going to be. So to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt, a little bit, um, they spent more last year than we thought they were going to. Um, so. You know they could go all the way up to that line. That'd be that'd be great. Um, I'm not sure they will, but again, you know, 60 million dollars is the approximate gap between where they are right now with with money committed versus where last year's full season payroll would have been without the proration. And you know, you can still build this team out with 60 million dollars or less. Um, so I'm not worried about that. But that doesn't include Ozuna for the record. Like there, there's some stuff you got to do. You got to spend some money. They can't just pack it in and call it a day. Um, but I, I don't. I'm not terribly worried about that quote just yet. But it is noteworthy if you were thinking the Braves were suddenly going to go all in. That is uh, ominous on that front, at the very least. Yeah. Um, in that same piece from Mark Bowman, he wrote um, that Marcelo Zuna is quote likely to return only if the NL continues to use the DH. End quote. That isn't a surprise, but it's also the first time that I have seen a trusted source write that as explicitly as that so and he, he didn't say definitely he said likely but uh that's just something to file away to if the dh doesn't end up happening it could be the end of marcel yeah. i know obviously mark bowman's as connected as anybody around the team i would hope that even because it seems likely even if i mean one i would argue that the dh seems likely for 2021 just based on a couple things even if it doesn't then when the cba expires another year it's almost a guarantee that the DH will be around in 2022. Yes. Even if you have to play Marcel, even if somehow there's no DH in 2021, I would still, unless someone just gives him an, an ungodly amount of money, I would really hope that they would be able to handle that with late inning defensive replacements. If you assume Christian Pache is going to be in center field, you have him play a couple of steps over to his, I guess it would be his right to help Marcel out in left field. Um, his bat is so good that I think you can live with that defensive liability a little bit. Um, again, who knows where it's, it's absurd, honestly, to me that 
the offseason has begun in National League teams. Half the teams in the league don't know if there's going to be a DH or not. It's just ridiculous, honestly. But um, I would hope that DH or not, that it will not prohibit the Braves from signing one of the league's best hitters uh, on the free agent market, a guy they're familiar with, just because of one year where he might have to play the outfield for uh, you know seven or eight innings per night. I have nothing to add to that, Scott, because you and I had the exact same thoughts. I said basically the same thing you just said on last week's podcast, so I'm not even going to say it again. That's that's well said on all fronts. There you go. Uh, yeah. I just think that, um, you know, not even worth adding to it. He's he's a guy you crossing him off would be crazy because of the, because of one year of the DH. It doesn't mean you have to sign him, but I think taking him off the board because of that would be uh, not the right decision. So I hope they do not make that decision as such. Um, I guess from on that on that front, sort of briefly, John Heyman reported that there's at least ten teams that have talked to Ozuna already. That shouldn't be a surprise. He's one of the five best agents on the market, and he's going to talk to a bunch of teams. So like, I don't I don't care about that. It, it made some news, um, but breaking news, everybody. Uh, Marcelo Ozuna's agent's going to have his hands full this this winter. Even with yeah. the reduced market, he's one of the best hitters on the market. So he's going to he's going to have some offers. So if the Braves fans think that he's going to be coming back for for mm-hmm. a discount, you are sorely mistaken on that. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, every, not every player, but I mean, every team that has any intention of being good is going to spend these couple of weeks in November talking to basically every agent for every prominent player, right? I mean, unless there's like an obvious, like, I don't think the Braves are going to check on many first basemen on the free agent market, but anybody else, I mean, that's what teams do this time of year. It's a long off season. You have to touch base, get an idea. So yeah, the reports that are going to come out or already have come out of you know, player X has already talked to a dozen teams. Well, yes, that's generally what happens in the off season. Owners talk or uh, agents talk to teams and vice versa. And you see if there's any kind of a match. Uh, to that end, last thing before we get to a break here, uh, you found this actually, which is hilarious because I didn't see this and you did. And you'll, you'll understand why that's funny in a second. Uh, Bet online, a leading offshore sports book. Normally this is my area of expertise on this podcast, but Scott found this. Um, they have the Braves as the favorite betting favorite anyway, to sign George Springer, Astros outfielder. Um, he apparently could be available on a short-term deal potentially and is quite good at baseball. At the same time, that loses a little bit of credibility for me because the same outlet um, has odds up apparently on the on Ozuna and the Braves aren't even listed as an option. And that seems that seems, that seems insane to me. Yeah. So yep. what do you make of that, Scott? I mean, I, I, we can talk about Springer in a second as well, but like, I don't know. The Braves could sign George Springer. It wouldn't surprise me. But uh, favorites is like, okay, I, I, eyebrow raise, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think it's, again, yeah, that is the epitome of entertainment purposes only. Oh, because yes. Because those, those sports books have a lot of things going on than what free agents are going to sign where. And it's it's not hard to connect the dots. Springer is an outfielder. The Braves need an outfielder. Springer has talked that he might be open to a one-year deal. Boom. Right. I mean, if, if you look at the list, it seems like there's a different team who's the favorite to sign just about everybody. Um, I would imagine that's done with some kind of intent for headline grabbing purposes. But yeah, hey, if, if Ozuna doesn't work out and George Springer is open to a deal that makes sense, by all means, he's a very good player. Um, it, it does not take a lot of, of connecting the dots to put those two teams together. But uh, yeah, it was a it was something that as the offseason begins and it's been pretty quiet so far that was talked about quite a bit this past week and thought it was worth bringing up. Yeah, we'll circle back to Springer actually in a minute when we get to the lineup. But uh, okay, it's a good time to break now. I think Scott will be back again in a moment, but uh, let's take a second to hear from our sponsors on the podcast today. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun. 
but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, let's let's dive in to the 2020 lineup. We know already it was quite good, of course. Um, it was the biggest reason why the Braves were as good as they were, followed closely by the bullpen. But I think even on that podcast, when we acknowledge the bullpen's strengths, it was still the offense that did most of the heavy lifting in 2020. I'll give you the top line numbers on the Braves here at the top. Um, they were tied for third in Major League Baseball in WRC+. They were tied for second in slugging. They led all of baseball in on-base percentage. They were number two in home runs to the Dodgers. They were number two in runs to the Dodgers and number one in RBI. So, in short, this is a consensus top three offense in Major League Baseball. Not, not the National League, in Major League Baseball this season. We all knew how good they were, but that's just worth emphasizing at the top. Like, taking a step back, the Braves were... I would say leaps and bounds better offensively than anyone projected them to be. Even if you were high on the offense, I don't think anybody was telling you this is going to be an uber elite offense, and they were. Well, looking at these numbers as a whole, it's rare when everything goes right for a baseball team, but other than maybe one case, which we'll talk about here in a bit, I mean, everything was about as good as you could have possibly hoped for. Uh, We knew how good Freddie Freeman is and can be. Uh, Same for Acuna. Uh, we had hopes for Marcelo Zuna that all we, we talked about all of the reasons to be optimistic about him. Um, but again, there were a lot of guys. I mean, Travis Darno, nobody saw that coming. Adam Duvall hitting 16 homers in, in two months was something a lot of people didn't see coming. Um, Dansby Swanson was very good. I mean, just up and down the lineup, with the exception of Ozzie Albies, who, who was injured. Uh, and even when he got healthy, he was still pretty close to the normal guy that he was. Um this lineup on paper was good and they exceeded all expectations significantly. And it was just honestly so much fun to watch the team on a nightly basis because every night it seemed like they were scoring five, six, seven runs. Yeah. I mean, they were so good. And most of these guys are locked to be back. You know, Freeman, Albie, Swanson, Acuna, and Darno are all under contract and, you know, barring some shock will be on the team next year. Um, You mentioned positionally, uh, we could we could sort of go around the diamond real fast just to kind of review uh, positions, and most of them will be pretty easy work. Um, catcher is one where you know Darno was 
a signing that we liked at the same time. I think no one projected him to have a 145 WRC plus and slug over 500 and be like an all-star level player. I'm not sure you can bet on that repeating next year necessarily, but he's always been a good player when healthy. He was healthy. He hit in the playoffs until until the very, very end, pretty much when he cooled off. But Darno was really, really good, quite obviously. And even Tyler Flowers, like Tyler Flowers is not great, but by backup catcher standards, is something we talk about all the time. He was better than a backup catcher normally is in, in Major League Baseball. Like he's not his old self anymore. But Flowers had a, uh, I believe, yeah, an 86 WRC plus and above uh, and above average defense. Like that's a backup catcher dream, basically in 2020. So the position of catcher, <laughs> once again for the Braves, was a success. Feels like this is the same thing every year, and somebody breaks out. And this year it was Darno with Flowers helping out. Yeah, I mean they're going on like 20 years now of having good catcher play. I mean it's honestly kind of absurd how. I think Braves fans are spoiled because they don't realize how much of a wasteland catcher can be for, for places around the league. I know we talk about it on the podcast, but man, Travis Darno to get him on a two-year deal. He was a guy who had a little bit of a late career breakout last year with Tampa Bay after bouncing around. And there were things to like, but yeah, anybody who thought he was going to be the best offensive catcher in baseball this season, I don't think I would have taken that bet, but man, um, even if he does come down to earth some next year, and he will. I mean, you look at him, he had a 4.11 batting average on balls in play. And while he's been a guy who, over the last two calendar years, has been good offensively, um, even if he comes back to earth a little bit because you're paying him so little, uh, you know, what a year for him and what a boost to this lineup to give yet another weapon you can hit uh, in front of the top top half of the order, which is so, so good. Um the only risk with Darno, I think, is just the injury thing because he's a catcher and he has some injury history. But, man, uh, you just have to hope that he holds up for a full season next year and he'll be ready to rock. Yeah, I mean, catcher, we'll see. Um, we talked about Flowers already. We won't do that whole thing again now about whether you bring him back or not. But Darno is going to be the plus side of a catcher rotation next season. We'll see what, how that looks in terms of who's paired with him. But he's the guy who's going to play more often than not. Um, he's not going to be playing like – you know, 90% of the time, like some catchers may, but most of the time in baseball, catchers don't play every day and he'll be four out of every six, probably something like that next season. And you can bank on that being pretty good. Um, first base, we talked about Freeman, but, uh, you know, as good as he possibly could have been this year, uh, still under contract. Obviously the extension talks are, I would assume going to be happening or if they're not already in this offseason I think they need to sign him into an extension this offseason if they possibly can um, because you don't want him to hit the market at any point in time frankly but aside from that there really is no like uncertainty Um, at some point Freddie might slow down but clearly this is not the time where he's gonna be doing that no I I think for all the reasons we've talked about this is very clearly where uh, you know the prime of his career the time the Braves should be doing whatever they can to build around Freddie um, it will be interesting this this winter if they can work out an extension because that is top of mind. Um, I cannot imagine the Braves want him to go to free agency because every team in baseball would have interest. Um, he is so good. He, he has no signs of slowing down. Eventually, of course, as he gets on the wrong side of 30, he will lose a little bit of a step. But even if he loses that step, he's still going to be better than most everybody else. Um, yeah, I, I would hope that they get something done. I, I would hope that the what seems like a very positive relationship continues that way and they can lock Freddie up on a deal that's fair for him and, and to pay him like the player he's been. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's something, what, what do you think? I mean, is, do you have any sense that this won't get done? It sure to me feels like it's only in, inevitable that Freddie signs his deal, but 
yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm too confident on that. No, I, I think that's the sense that most people have. Uh, and again, I, I don't have incredible sources or anything like that. But, you know, hearing stuff or whatever, no one seems to be under the impression that it won't get done. Uh, you know, the word inevitable is probably stronger than I want to use because I just have seen too many things <laughs> happen. But I, I do think that uh, it does seem quite likely. I think both sides want to get it done. The pandemic stuff might influence. But, you know, looking ahead... It's not like Freeman is a big risk on his contract. I mean, maybe you're talking about the years being the question, because I think this last the last deal worked out great for both sides. Uh, Freddie made a lot of money. The Braves had him at a pretty good value. Um, the years would be the only sticking point potentially because of just how uh, he's not. not it's like not like Freddie's old, but you don't want to get into a situation where you're giving him you know eight more years at his age. So like how long it goes is a negotiation point to be sure. But you'll pay him. 20 to 30 million dollars a season and it'll be for however long he wants it to be until it's too long uh, you know what i mean i, I think it's gonna get done i'm yeah. guessing it'll get done i think both sides know that freddie seems to want to be in atlanta he lives here full time the braves are good i don't know all indications are he'll be around long term it's just where the number and the years come in and i'm not smart to guess that right now but it feels like it'll be an upset if he hits the market is all i'll say well and look at it this way he is, I mean, he's literally the best player in the National League right now, or at least he was on a on a performance basis this past year. Yep. If you have to give him an extra year or two in 2028, I mean, who cares, right? Like, we're going to talk about it, and it's a part of it. But the Dodgers signed Mookie Betts to a 13-year deal, and I'm not comparing the finances between those two teams. But, man, sometimes you just, if you want to keep good players and keep them around, you might have to give an extra year I would really hope that, you know, adding one extra contract year in 2027 or whatever year it would be would not be a huge sticking point for this front office. But again, who knows? It's not my money. Um, I would think that both sides could get to a reasonable number for both parties. Again, Freddie is, what, 31? So it's not like he's an old man by any means. And he plays a position at first base where you don't have to worry too much about the defense falling off, right? He's not a shortstop or a center fielder where you might have to change and dramatically reduce his value. Um, I would hope that they could work out something again, by all means, it's, it seems like this is something that will get done here, but um, yeah, I just hope that it does not become a contentious point because Freddie has been a model citizen and everything you could ask for in a franchise player for almost a decade now. And I would hope that they'd be able to keep things going and, and not drag this out and let him get anywhere close to free agency. Yeah, that's all. Uh, that's all right, and I think it's going to happen. And we'll, we'll of course talk about it when it does or if it does. But uh, you know, for review purposes, we all know how good Freddie was this year, so nothing really to add on to that. Um, second base, Ozzy Albies was banged up at times this season. wasn't as incredible this season as he was in the previous year. This is still a guy who is 23. He'll be 24 in January, and even with all those caveats about his play this year. He still finished the season with a 103 WRC plus and good defense. So like if that if that's a disaster season, which it kind of was for Ozzy Albies, he played half the year. Um, you know he's one of the best second base men in baseball, and there's no reason to believe that he won't be that moving forward. That's kind of my only thought about Ozzy. It's like yeah, this is probably a hiccup, even if it's not a full hiccup. Like maybe he's just not quite as good as he was last year as a baseline. He's still really good, like really really. Yeah, good. yeah. I mean his numbers were terrible those first couple weeks yep. when he was trying to play through the wrist injury so for him to be I mean he was really good when he came back in in September and he was pretty solid in the playoffs as well um yeah I mean he's so good I, I when you it took me back when you said he's only 23 24 to me in my head it feels like he's just a little bit older because he's been around 
in the organization forever, and he came up so young. But, yeah, he is a, a very special player, a guy who the Braves, of course, are going to count on for a long time, and and that contract remains absurd. Uh, just what a, what a steal. Um, so, yeah, all good things ahead, hopefully, for Ozzy. It's, it's anytime you have a wrist injury. We've, we've been snake-bitten in the past by wrist injuries and good young players, and you just have to hope it was a one-time thing, and he's able to move past it. Yep, I have nothing to add. We'll uh, we'll circle back on that if there's any concern. But you know, with the full off season, I won't be too worried about Ozzy and uh, one of the best second basemen in baseball. Shortstop Dansby Swanson finally had his kind of breakout season at 26. Um, he'll be 27 in February, but even the shortened year, he had by far his best year at the plate. A one a 116 WRC plus. Um, just was a generally above average hitter. He's always been a very solid or better fielder. And, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of a breakout. I mean, is he going to be an absolute super-duper star? Probably not. But if he's the guy he was, or even 90% of the guy he was in 2020, you feel great about that. There were the rumblings before next, uh, before last season, like, all right, it's kind of a make-or-break year in some ways for Dansby. Like, what's he going to be? And he responded to that by just being, you know, capital G good, basically, in 2020. Yeah, yeah at this point, it seems like whenever Dansby is healthy – and that is far from a guarantee just because of the stuff he's battled early on. But when he's been healthy the last two years, he's been really good. Um, again, he was on pace for a five-win season as a as a young, cheap shortstop. Those guys do not grow on trees and in Major League Baseball. And, yeah, you just hope that he's able to put together 150 or so games next season, uh, continue to hit like he's done. He's, he's tapped into some power. He gets on base at a good rate, uses all sides of the field. Strikeout rate was a little bit up this year at 27%. That feels a little high for Dansby, but again, in a, in a 60-game sample, you feel like things are going to balance out a little bit more over a full season. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where his baseline is still. He played, he played every game this year, which is very, very nice to see. Defensively, you trust him. I, I don't know what to bank on. Like my, I would tell people that my expectation for his bat is not that he's going to be able to do this again. He certainly can. But if I'm projecting Dansby Swanson for a full season in 2021, I will not project him to have a 116 WRC+. Maybe you think I'm wrong, Scott. But that that's just it seems like, yes, he just did it. But it just seems like if, if you can't fully ignore his previous season. So I think I'm going to assume he's like, I don't know, an average hitter instead of this strongly above average hitter. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But by the way, even if he's an average hitter, he's a starting good player. So it doesn't, the impact of that doesn't really matter all that much. It's just, you're hoping he's the guy he was in 2020 versus some potential regression, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was, everything went right for Dansby this past season. Um, He continues to be streaky. He's a guy who's been up and down throughout his entire career. Um, Yeah, if if you're telling me you're going to get a, a 105, 110 WRC plus with his defense and his base running, which is really, really good. Um, that's like a four war shortstop. And again, paying maybe five or six million bucks next year. That is a tremendous asset to have. And I think he's also someone who might be a candidate for an extension at some point here. He is not in the same boat as the Acunas and Albies of the world because he, of course, was a number one draft pick and got a $7 million signing bonus and, and all that. But it, it would be an interesting topic to see where the two sides stand on that yeah who knows that's an interesting one I mean he, his, that's probably the other natural you know discussion about contract stuff uh, outside of free agency is Dansby and we'll see where they go on that if they do an extension it wouldn't shock me um, we'll see where they land on all of that um, okay after a bunch of positivity in those first four spots let's go to third base Scott the uh, the one spot on the diamond that was a, a question mark we'll say in 2020 uh, at least when Ozzy was playing that was not a question mark so third base 
Austin Riley was the guy for the most part. He played 51 games. He had 206 plate appearances. He had a WRC plus of 89. Um, he just did not get on base very well. He still had the power. He had a um, a near 200 ISO. Like he still slugged over 400 despite not getting on base. But Riley is a guy who is polarizing um, defensively. Braves fans seem to have taken to Riley defensively, and he's made some plays. Um, I think he might even be a little bit overrated by the fan base defensively now. Um, still, the metrics are split on him, I'll say. But regardless, I think it's fair to say, especially if you look at the numbers this year, uh, he was like a replacement-level player for the season. Um, I know Fangraphs had, had, had him at negative 0.1 uh, war this year. That isn't everything, but Austin Riley 2020 version is not a starting third baseman in Major League Baseball. So it comes down to, do you think slash believe that it, it will get better next year and also how much you want to invest because the Camargo mm. stuff is now over. It's basically Riley or external option. So yeah. uh, where, where do you stand, Scott? So I, I think Riley's probably the most uh, divisive player in the organization because I would imagine if you talk to the Braves privately, there are probably some Austin Riley believers in the front office and there's also probably some folks who just aren't sure he's an everyday third baseman on a team that's trying to win a World Series next year. Um, if you're looking at the glass half full, you look at a guy who had a 110 WRC plus in the second half of the shortened year. Um, defensively, he has improved. Um, his versatility at third base and left field is very valuable. But at the same time, you're still looking at a guy who has 500 plate appearances at the big league level at a premium offensive position and he is not getting on base like he should. He is not. I mean, even the power numbers are good, but not like ungodly, right? Like he's not Adam Duvall where I mean, maybe he could do it over a full season. But, you know, you, you're going to pencil in 30 to 40 homers. I'm just not sure he's even that point right now. Um, so, yeah, I would be fascinated to know internally what the Braves think. I would guess just given the circumstances, Riley will be the third baseman next year just because there's other areas to, to focus on. But um I don't know if there was an opportunity to upgrade. Maybe they would. I'm not sure how you feel about that. I mean, I feel like they have to explore it. Now, whether you have to do it is something entirely different. I know there are huge Riley skeptics. I've always been a little lower on Riley, but I will not tell you that the Braves have to do something else for 2021 at third base. I'm okay if they run it back with Riley and just give him one more chance to do it. That won't bother me too, too much. But I am definitely not of the mind where it is his job unquestionably next next year. Um, I think that you cannot just go in without exploring what you can do elsewhere, um, whether it be free agency or trade, etc. You don't have to sign over him. You don't have to trade over him. But it's he's the honestly again it's the it's the one spot other than the uh, corner outfield spot that we'll talk about in a second that you generally don't have an idea of what you're going to do there because I'm if I'm, if it's me, you cannot fully plan on Austin Riley being the guy for you long-term at third base. That's kind of my full stance right now because he's just not, he's not shown that he can be that so far. The flashes are nice when he hits the ball a long way, it goes a long way. The power is unbelievable when it connects, but just production wise, he's just never been consistently good for a long stretch of time. And, you know, I get that he has pedigree and all that stuff, but if you're trying to be the best that you can possibly be guys like Austin Riley, so far, like look at the Dodgers, for instance, there is nobody on the Dodgers that's playing every single day. That's as bad as Austin Riley has been the last two years. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not exactly, I mean, you, you, you can get by with one guy in your lineup. that's like that. I'm not saying you can't, but to, to just sit there and be like, all right, we're, we're all set at third base is not what I would be thinking. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I think 
But, you know, it's hard to say if they go out and add, if they bring back Ozuna or a Springer or somebody of that nature, I think you can get away with it just because of what the lineup's going to look like. If Riley is your one guy who you're going to just kind of hope and if you feel good about everybody else, I think you can probably throw Riley in the eighth or ninth spot and just hope that he's going to get some pitches to hit because of who is following him in the order at the top. Um, I, I would probably lean towards that. I think it's too early to necessarily give up on him, but if a team gives you an opportunity to significantly improve the position and they want Austin Riley in return, as long as it's not like a one-year kind of drop, you know, one-year rental kind of option, I would certainly entertain any and all options. Yeah, you, you got to be open to something. I know, I know, I know. Riley still has fans, and that's that's totally cool. But if you just look at the numbers, how they are, um, there's just no way you can convince me that it's a no-brainer that he's the, he's the guy long-term. Um, maybe it'll happen. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll break out. But he was again a replacement-level player this year, even in a short season. Not ideal, and I think again the Camargo thing is is over. So, <laughs> um, with all due respect, yeah, of course, to I Camargo. Think so. um, in yeah. terms of a full time player, anyway. Um, okay, let's go to the outfield. We can come back to that at a later date. Uh, Ronald Acuna, we know, is a super duper star. Uh, I don't even have a take. It's just like you know, he's under contract for a long time. He's an awesome player. Uh, yes, pencil him in. <laughs> Uh, yes. right, right field, right field every day for till the end of time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good at baseball, cheap, young. Hopefully, he gets his wrist issue resolved, whatever it is. Hopefully, you know, a couple of months off will will help that calm down. But yeah, very good. Yeah, I mean, the only thing <laughs> is, I guess the only thing for next year anyway with Acuna is like if he's playing center or right. Um, and I think that bridges us into the Christian Pache conversation because Pache, um, to our great frustration did not factor in the regular season plan last year um, in any meaningful way. But then, of course, he finds himself starting playoff games repeatedly and performing reasonably well. Obviously, the defense plays up. He is a top-flight prospect. I I think, I don't want to assume too much, but I think the most likely scenario is Christian Pache, everyday center fielder next year. Um, I I don't want to say that's an absolute certainty, but he's the kind of guy where he flashed a little bit and his pedigree is as such where... A guy like that who is in any way close to ready probably just gets the job and goes from there. Yeah. You know, it, it's curious because last season, if it was a normal year, Pache felt like somebody who was going to be in the minor leagues to start, play half a season, and then come up middle of the year whenever there was an injury or they needed something, right? So, you know, he only has 105 plate appearances at AAA which was 2019. So it's going to be a, at least a full calendar year and a half since he's really played regularly. So I guess there's a chance that if there is a normal minor league season or at least a normal minor league season at the upper levels next year, that that maybe they start him in the minors. But uh, I think he's ready. The glove is already good to go. And I would I would be in favor of batting him eighth or ninth and just kind of hiding him down there and letting him figure it out than than not playing regularly or playing in the minor leagues if they're not going to have a normal season. Yeah, he needs to play. I, I'm, I'm not going to, maybe Eric will, but I, I'm not going to yell and scream if he's not the guy on opening day. It won't like drive me crazy. I will say this, with, with, with this uh, enormous caveat, they better have someone good in center field if it's not Christian Bache. You know what I mean? If they want to go sign a one-year deal for someone that's really, really good and make a splash and try to run at it, um, that's okay. But if the plan is to, you know, platoon two mediocre guys in a corner spot and play Acuna in center, 
that isn't going to go over well with the fan base. I don't think it probably shouldn't either. Um, I'm not going to tell you that Pache is definitely going to hit. That's the, that's the tool. That's the tool question about Pache is his bat. Um, but I think defensively he's so good, and we saw that in a small flash in the majors. But we already knew he's so good defensively that even if he hits just a tiny, tiny bit, if you yeah. if you hit him eighth or ninth depending on the DH, it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. I would my plan would be to write him in pencil in center field. <laughs> if a something falls in your lap that you just think would be great for your team, that's cool. And the fact that you have Ronald Acuna who can play center field every day does help with that flexibility. But uh, if I'm guessing, my guess would be Pache in center and Ronnie and right on opening day. But obviously, a lot can change between now and then. I'm with you. I think you said it perfectly. Put it in pencil. I, I don't think it's a lock by any means, but I guess as of you know recording this middle of November, I'd say it's probably seventy percent chance he's out there as the as the team's everyday center fielder again. If maybe there's an opportunity to upgrade, or if they if they really don't think he's quite ready and they they're getting the sense that there's going to be a minor league season or at least a triple A season that's going to be normal, um, maybe they they give him some more time in the minors, but. Man, it would be it would have to require a significant upgrade for me before I would before I would do that. Yeah, you you have to have someone good, uh, like actually good, to play uh, instead of Christian Pache. Um, okay, and that's a good transition point. Now, of course, DH, we, we just don't know what's going to happen with the DH spot. Um, if they have a DH, maybe it's Marcelo Zuna, maybe it's not. That's something for another day almost. Um, but it, that leaves, regardless, that, that leaves a corner outfield spot unattended. The only guy who is under contract. For next year, that is a professional um, major league caliber player in a corner outfield spot. That's not Ronald Acuna. Is Adam Duvall? Um, Adam Duvall is under is under team control. Adam Duvall was pretty good this year. Adam Duvall is a part of the team for next year, as he should be. Um, with that said, they never wanted to play Duvall every single day. It ended, it ended up being the the right decision because of how bad some of the other options were at times. But Adam Duvall ideally is like kind of a platoon guy who's maybe a little bit better than that, but not someone who you just like put in there every single day and roll with. So he, it helps that you have him. Uh, you have Camargo is a guy you could tender, but it's $2 million. That might be a non-tender spot if you want to weigh on that in a second, Scott. And then from there, you're looking outside the organization. So if there's no DH, uh, you only got to fill one spot, and it's left field. If there is a DH you got to think about DH and left field, and that makes it even more challenging in some ways, especially if Ozuna gets away from you. So uh, I'll open it up to you. Uh, thoughts on this spot uh, in, a, in a situation where you only have <laughs> Duvall and nothing else right now? You know, I, I would love the idea of platooning Duvall. I think that's the most obvious route to go here. Um, but if, if, if adding that player means that you're not going to have the finances. Say you say you want to go after like a Jock Peterson type. I'm not necessarily saying Jock because I know people are kind of split on him and and everything. But but I mean he you know, he, he is the most obvious platoon yeah. guy for yeah. Adam Duvall in the entire free agent class. He's a left-handed guy who mashes righties, and Duvall is the opposite. So yeah, absolutely. But if you're going to have to pay Jock Peterson eight, ten, twelve million dollars a year on a shortened deal. And that's going to prohibit you from adding a frontline starter, Marcelo Zuna, a George Springer, a Michael Brantley. I mean, someone of that type, right? Then I would I would almost want to aim higher than Jock because I, I think that this team needs a very good fourth hitter on it. You can't just rely on, or I guess, very good third hitter behind Acuna and Freddie. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think if you could find a cheap platoon partner, that would obviously be the best case scenario for Duvall, but. That is, again, probably easier said than done. And 
I guess where I'm at is I would aim higher than, than that as a primary outfield position. Um, but again, the DH is going to influence so much of this because if you have the DH, everything is simplified much, much more for me anyway. Um, if you don't have the DH, then I think you have to almost prioritize that, that outfield spot a little bit more. But again, it's, it's just hard to say without knowing what the lineup will be next year. Right. And the DH is interesting. I mean, I, I think the uh, the obvious one for me anyway, ideal scenario is the DH exists. You bring back Ozuna, Ozuna to DH every day. And then you invest in an outfielder that ideally, like if it's someone like Brantley or George Springer, those are everyday players, like obviously full stop everyday players. And then Adam Duvall becomes your fourth outfielder, which is like a really good, he's overqualified for that role. And also because yeah. Ronald Acuna can play center field, that gives you even more flexibility to have your fourth outfielder be a guy who probably can't play center because you have Ronald Acuna on the team. So that's a great way for them to do. I'm not sure it's realistic or whatever, but the, I think the ideal thing for them to do would be bring back Ozuna at DH. And then, you know, I'm not even sure if that has to be Springer. Springer's almost too good, but if you, if they could do Springer, then great. But Brantley is a very common projected potential option for the Braves. I think the best possible two, two man punch to add to this offense is Ozuna and Brantley. And then, and then if you do that, I'm fine with Pache and Riley because you're so good everywhere else that those two spots can be question marks at all offensively. And it doesn't really matter because you probably have the best one through seven in the league or at least one of them. So I don't know that that's obviously a one scenario. There are other options out there. You know, your, your Jackie Bradley types that are for agents that are pretty good players, but he's more of a defensive guy too. Like, I'm yeah. not sure why you wouldn't just roll with Pache at that point. Um, but we'll see. I, I just think that the worst case scenario isn't that bad in that you can just, Go Adam Duvall and Platoon Partner X. And we'll just bring up the name now. Uh, Marquecas is not a, a guy that we would bring back. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Scott, you can correct me if you disagree with me. But he's not the guy that I would add. Um, the one thing that he does is hit right-handed pitching. So, yeah, I know that's the thing. But he just wasn't very good in 2020. Um, would it surprise you, Scott, because we cannot end this podcast on the lineup without talking uh, about Nick Marquecas. Would it surprise you yeah. if they if they did it again? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, but... I think it really opened some eyes. I mean, in, in September and then the playoffs, all Marquez was seeing was fastballs up in the zone. I mean, he was just getting peppered with them. And a loss of bat speed is the first telltale sign that a guy is getting old. And I, I think it's very obvious at this point that Marquez is not an everyday player. Uh, again, if if they if they construct the roster to a point where Marquez is like only is like the fifth outfielder on the team and is only a left-handed <laughs> pinch hitter this sounds familiar then, i don't know yeah, right it's exactly cuz then all of a sudden he's playing every other day somehow but um sure if if he wants to sign for a million dollars and be a bench guy and he just isn't ready to retire and nobody else is offering anything then uh sure he's probably a better left-handed bench bat than what else you know some of the other options internally or externally at the price but um, I would imagine Nick is probably going to retire. I'm guessing he will look around. Maybe a team, like I know last year the Marlins were reportedly interested. Maybe a younger team that wants some veteran leadership might take a chance on him. You know, a team like the Pirates or the Tigers. Um, but ultimately, I would, if I had to bet as of today, I would guess that Nick has played his final game. Yeah, that, it's, that all sounds reasonable. And I, I agree with you, and this is always the caveat, is that we we've said this before on paper, it does make some sense to have Marquecas back as the fifth, I should say this again, fifth outfielder 
last guy in your roster, bench bat, veteran presence guy. They all love him, all that stuff. The problem is that um, he'll get elevated sometimes too quickly in that role. So there is the just the incumbency thing of um, we've all seen this before where he probably plays to put more than you probably want him to play, et cetera. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, I just feel like we had to bring him up briefly. Uh, I would not want to enter the season with a platoon of uh, Duval and Marquecas in left field. That is no, not what I would want no, to do no. if I'm the Braves. So I just want to put that out there. And I, that, I said as someone who really likes Adam Duvall, but in that platoon, Marquecas is playing more than Adam Duvall is. And that's not what you want, I don't think, yeah. in 2021. Uh, the other guy we have to talk about briefly is Ender Enciarte, who is still under contract, Scott, for uh, several million dollars. So not that he's going to be a, a, a part of the team on the field. I don't think that he's going to be in the mix. I really don't. I guess it's not impossible, but... The way they treated him at the end of the year, not being on the playoff roster, all that stuff would lead you to believe that Ender will not be in the team's plans, but his money is still on the roster. And that, especially with what we talked about before, with the potential cut in revenue and cut in um, you know payroll, they have to figure out what they're going to do with Ender, whether it's just cut him and eat the money, whether it's trade him along with some prospects in a weird hybrid dump trade, whether it's a challenge trade where you send him somewhere for some other bad salary. There's all kinds of options for Ender, but we got to talk about him for a second because he's still on hmm. the team uh, and getting paid like uh, a guy who is going to be contributing, even though he's probably not going to be. Yeah, well, and what hurts about Ender is if if he doesn't get his contract extension from John Coppola, uh, he is gone after this year, so it kind of stings a little bit. I know that at the time it was a little bit of an odd extension just to lock in some guaranteed money, I guess. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would hope, I would guess that they would be able to swap him in a you know a bad salary for bad salary kind of deal. I don't know. I mean, in normal times, that seems a little bit easier just given the state of everything. But I, I don't know if, if he's... If they can't trade him, let me ask you this, Brad. If they can't trade Ender, if if they called 29 other teams and they go, I wouldn't even give you a bad reliever for him, do you think he's on the roster? Would they outright release him? Would they just treat him as like a fifth outfielder? Yeah, that's, that's, never... the, that's the question, yeah. honestly, that I've been trying to ask and try to get answered, and I haven't really gotten an answer. Um, by the way, just for the record, he at, the, at this moment in time, right now today, he is the third highest paid player on the Atlanta Braves next year. Oh, wow. Behind only Freddie and Will Smith. That Thanks. is the list. Uh, because the extensions for Ronnie and Ozzy had not, had not started yet. So, um, yeah, that's that, that was a jarring thing that I just I just found on the uh, Fangraphs uh, salary site. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's $8.7 million for next year, at least in terms of the, uh, the allotted price. I'm not sure if it's a little bit lower than that with some manual manipulation or whatever. But to your point, um, man, I, I think that if it just came down to literally my only options are cut him and pay the money or have him on the team as a fifth outfielder, they probably have him on the team because they, because fifth outfielder, you know, the damage there is you're probably saving a million dollars on the guy that you would be paying there. If that makes sense. So I don't know. I'm, we're all guessing. I'm hoping slash thinking that they're going to try something creative to just get him off the team even if it means taking yeah. bad salary back, um, that's a way to do it. But like you said, this is not the time to be doing that kind of move. It's really bad timing in a lot of ways um, to get someone to take his salary. And I, I think there might be a team that views him not as a starter probably anymore, but someone who can – a team that might see him as a fourth outfielder versus the Braves who might not even see him that much right now. 
because Endor does have a reputation. He isn't that old. I know he looks really old when you watch him last year, but I think he's, what, 30? Uh, yeah, something I, like that. I can see a team buying in a little bit that he's not completely cooked sure. um, and maybe wanting to pay him, you know, $3 million instead of 9 you know what I mean? Or instead of eight, whatever it is. Sure. And sure. the Braves, maybe the Braves come up with a deal where they can trade him to Team X and pay $5 million of his salary. And that's yeah. literally the whole deal. Like, and all you get back is a C level prospect. And it's the Braves basically just send $5 million along with Ender. And that's the deal. That that wouldn't stun me either if they just want to get off some of the money. Um, but I mean, he, he doesn't have trade value. That's for sure at this point in time. I, I, we'd all be surprised if he did. And. I mean, do you really want a guy making $8 million on your team just to be there? I don't know. He's not a bad character guy by all accounts. Like, people seem to like Ender. It's just yeah. that it's a weird situation when he's now behind, obviously behind Christian Pache on your pecking order. He, I mean, not having him on the playoff roster is like the biggest glaring red yeah. Yeah. alarm bell thing of all time because – that that for me felt like a moment. We talked about it at the time. That felt that felt like a moment when it was like, okay, Ender's done. That's it. Like mm-hmm. we're done with Ender in Atlanta. Um, I still feel that way. But if you look at the just the economics of it all, there's a way he's on the team. I'm not gonna tell you there's not. So <laughs> it's just yeah. funny to me. I don't know. I have, I have no, no real I, answer, Scott. Yeah, I know. It's hard. I mean, there there is no answer. I think yes to all of the above. I think they could use him uh, on the team in a fifth outfielder capacity. I think they could effectively just sell him off and try to save four or five million dollars which is going to be a lot this winter yep um one other thing which is and i don't want to go down the rabbit hole of of this but you know say say a chris bryant is available right and he's going to make 20 million dollars next year well the braves may not want to take on 20 million of of chris bryant's salary but if you could send ender with a you know other prospects or whoever it would be to chicago to help balance out the money that is not exclusive to Brian. I would imagine there's a handful of other opportunities to do that. Um, but it is a, if you do trade for a good player who is owed money, a Chris Bryant, a Kyle Seeger, uh, one of those types, and you just don't want to take on their full salary for 2021, you might be able to use Ender to help balance out some of the finances. So I at least wanted to mention that as another possibility as well. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's a good, uh, a good outline of something that's not just a pure money dump but also a way to offset a little bit where you're taking on some good money in Brian, at least you're hoping so, but also part of the deal is maybe you give up an extra prospect to get off of Ender, which is unfortunate. That, that's more of like yeah. a basketball type of deal. Honestly, that happens a lot in other sports um, where you're literally attaching something to get off of money. And in baseball, that doesn't happen all that often. Uh, famously, the Braves got Tukey in a similar deal to that with Arizona. That was what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, the, he was the prize prospect in that deal where they, where they took on um, you know $10 million or so in bad money. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but that's, that's the kind of deal and creativity that they have to get into because no one in the world, even if you're a big Ender, and, Ender supporter, thinks he's worth $8 million now because he's just not. So your hands are kind of tied. Yeah. It's uh, it is not the worst problem to have. I mean, honestly, it kind of sounds like this is the biggest, not the only hurdle the Braves have to clear because they do need to add to this team if they want to continue to be a World Series contender. But you know, trying to figure out what to do with eight million bucks. I know that the financial situation is a little bit different now than in normal times, but yeah, um, it is not the end of the world. Whether or not Ender's on the team, if if that is one thing they address, but uh, improve the roster elsewhere, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's well said. 
that's kind of all I have, Scott. I mean, we could talk about stuff forever. We'll obviously have some time to get into some hypotheticals the next few weeks, and uh, transactions should be happening at some point along the way. But if you have any final thoughts, we could talk about Camargo, but that's a decision we can litigate when it happens. It's $2 million or so to tender him. Not a no-brainer at all. But other than that, you're just filling out the bench. You're filling out the uh, the real depth pieces, backup catcher, etc. So I'm out of takes, but if you have anything else to add, please feel free. <laughs> No, I mean, it, it was a uh, a terrific year offensively. I mean, this is as good of a lineup as the Braves have had, I mean, honestly, in, in many, many years. Um, one that should be good again next year. Again, they, they're going to have to um, to address the hole left by Marcelo Zuna, whether that's with Ozuna or somebody else. There are some pretty solid offensive options on the market. They could always make a trade. Um but this is a team that should be set up well next year. You hope the pitching's a little bit healthier too, so you aren't relying so much on the lineup because it felt like every night the offense was was being asked to bail out the starting rotation a little bit. But um, hopefully the rotation's healthier, so you you get to enjoy the fruits of a really good lineup uh, that also doesn't have to cover up all the deficiencies elsewhere on the team. Yeah, the lineup was good. Uh, everyone should expect it to be good again next year. My only caveat would be. I don't think you can go into the offseason assuming this is the best lineup in baseball again next year, um, at least at least on paper. Um, yeah. Most most guys, I won't say all, but uh, most guys overachieved, albeit slightly. Like Freddie was awesome, uh, Marcel was awesome, um, Darno, etc. Those guys, you can't bank on them being quite that good all the time, but they're still really good. So that's a, it's a very nice baseline for the Braves to look at moving forward and. We'll uh, talk about all the hypotheticals as they're coming. We'll, we'll do a mailbag soon as well. By the way, people are asking for mailbag questions. Uh, we'll do some of that because after this, uh, to let you, let you, let you behind the curtain a little bit, we have no plan. Just none. <laughs> none, none whatsoever. So uh, tr- if, there, if there are no moves, last year we got spoiled because there were like a bunch yeah. of transactions in November. Uh, from now until uh, the next move, we'll be talking about news and stuff, but uh, we'll, we'll sort of defer. If people want to hear stuff, we'll definitely talk about it. And uh, Scott and I and Eric will get creative. Wouldn't it be nice if we get an off season where the Braves make like a move every three weeks or something like that? Like it's nice and spaced out. They don't like two years ago, they made all their moves within like literally like 45 minutes of the off season. And then uh, last year they spread it out a little bit. Um, but wouldn't it be nice, Brad, for our uh, sanity if like they made a move next week and then they made another move in early December yeah, and just, then one just around once the every holidays. like once every yeah. 17 days just go ahead there and like <laughs> fire some fire up a transaction or at least a rumor or something once every couple weeks that would be really cool uh to sort of navigate the offseason this is going to be the most bizarre offseason in a long time because I, I feel like last year it became an offseason but you know spring training started on time last season so the the regular part of the offseason was pretty normal it was just that we suddenly had an extended offseason after spring training had already happened. Um, I'm hoping that this offseason is uh, on schedule, but also just not incredibly weird. And it might be. We might have that. You know, so far, basically the only movement that there's been on the transaction wire, by the way, we should say this out loud, is that uh, Marcus Stroman, a guy I know we've talked about before, is now off the market, as is Kevin Gosman uh, and Robbie Ray. Those are the three guys that I have at least made note of that have all signed. They're all, pit- they're all starting pitchers. Um, but the rest of the market's been pretty pretty darn quiet so far, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I would imagine Alex Anthopoulos said in an interview after the season wrapped up, he thought that Thanksgiving was when things were going to get moving. Again, it's, I'm guessing that's probably just conjecture on his part. But um, now that you know non, non-tender decisions get made, teams probably every day we move on, they probably have a little bit of a 
general better idea of what their their team and their finances are going to look like in a year. Um, hopefully here around Thanksgiving, uh, we get some movement, free agents, trades, whatever it may be. Uh, that would be appreciated on all fronts. <laughs> That's well said, Scott. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the site's still firing. We're doing player reviews and all kinds of good stuff on the uh I would say the written side of things with Chris and the uh, and the crew. There, so check all that out. Scott, have you written anything recently that you want to plug? I have not. Um, I did the uh, I did the Will Smith player review, uh, which was an interesting one. I, I you know go check that out. There was some. There was obviously not a great year for Will Smith, but there was also some encouraging things like his his strikeout rates and his whiff rates and all that good stuff. But not a ton. But just hopping in. I, oh, I did write up the Josh Tomlin signing, which was uh, which was fun. Hopefully that is yeah, the, baby. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we have many more, a uh, little more exciting, uh, signings to write up, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I've been <laughs> on lately. And, um, but again, no, thank you to everybody for checking out the site and just because there's no games, we'll keep cranking everything out and team does a great job getting all the content out and looking back and looking ahead. So, uh, be sure to check out the site. Yep. Check out the site. Please subscribe to this podcast. If you've not already done that, if you're a first time listener, welcome to the show, but please go ahead and click the subscribe button. Tell your friends as well. Tell your enemies, tell your family members, how do you want to spread the word about the show? We, we really appreciate everyone that's jumped on board in the last couple months. And uh, like Scott said, no reason to stop now. I know it's a little bit of a slower time in baseball, but we're not going anywhere. We'll be here weekly, maybe even more than that on occasion. So stay tuned, subscribe, Follow the site on Twitter at Talking Chop. Follow Scott if you'd like to at ScottColin55. Follow me if you want to at BT Roland. And we will see you next time. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.